0: Are there any types or genres of music that you just don't get? Yes, right? Yeah. That, that aren't your cup of tea. Anything that just doesn't sound good to your ear. For some reason, as much as I'd like to be a fan of this type of music, I have never been able to get into jazz. I really, I really want to be a fan of jazz. It seems like... It'd be cool to be a fan of jazz. There's a form to it, there's a grammar, there are unspoken rules, but there's also immense freedom. Jazz comes out of a particular community and the form it takes is due to that specific context out of which it was born. But for whatever reason, it's just not my thing. A lot of people can't stand rap music. They don't like the subject matter, they don't like the language used, they don't like the tone. They don't think it's actually music in any discernible way. But rap is a genre that's born out of a particular community with particular concerns and norms. That world isn't our world, for the most part. The same goes for country music, especially old country. There's a joke that says that all country songs are the same. I lost my job, my wife left me, my truck broke and my dog died <laughs> some people just can't get behind it it's just not their scene but it's also not their community not their context, not their people in high school for a while I was really into heavy metal music you know where the guitars are turned up to 11 There's a ton of distortion, and the singers, which really stretches the definition of that word, friends, are screaming every single word into a microphone. My mom did not at all understand why I was into that type of music. Uh, If I would have put on one of my heavy metal albums for her, I think she would have been a tad horrified. But I played football, we had practiced for three hours every single day, and you had to hit people for three hours every single day. I wrestled. It's a one-on-one sport where you have to physically dominate the other person to the point of pinning their shoulders to the mat. Both of those sports require a little bit of aggression, dare I say some anger, to do them every single day, day in and day out. So um, the music was where I was. In music, sometimes your context matters. Sometimes the community out of which you come matters. This morning, uh, we are going to look at one of the most, if not the most, challenging psalm in the whole book. This is a difficult-to-read psalm. This would be a difficult-to-sing psalm if we were singing them. It's difficult to recite and difficult to say that this is the word of God for the people of God. So we're going to talk this morning about context along with this psalm. We're going to talk about where the people were when they were writing it. And at the end of the day, if it's still not your cup of tea, that's okay. But it's in the Bible, so we're going to read it and deal with it. I also want to provide one more caveat before we get to the psalm. Um, Because we're also going to do another thing with this psalm. There was a recent TV show called How I Met Your Mother. And in one episode, one of the main characters, Lily, was trying to get another main character, Ted, to tell her how he was really doing. Have you ever been in a conversation with a friend and you know they're holding something back and you're trying to get it out of them, you're trying to get them to open up to tell the truth, the hard, painful truth? Well, that's what Lily was doing. Lily realized that if Ted opened up and said what he was really feeling, something he needed to get out, he would be the worst person ever. So Lily said she was going to give him an out and say something even worse. So that way, no matter what Ted said, it wouldn't be worse than what Lily had said. I tell you about this random interaction on a random TV show that's not even airing new episodes. Because as we read this psalm, it's possible that the psalm says one of the worst things ever so that we can know we can be vulnerable with God. With all the requisite warnings out of the way, let's read the psalm. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon that we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell? Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. There are parts of this psalm that are difficult to hear. There are parts of this psalm that are horrific. There are parts of this psalm that make us might make us question how they bear witness to a loving God. So if you're a bit taken aback by this psalm or parts of this psalm, you're not alone. But I want us to look at it all the same. On the off chance that one day we might need to voice something awful. On the off chance that one day we find ourselves needing to shout to the heavens. This psalm is really a song of two cities. The setting is revealed in the first verse. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. The writer of the psalm is in Babylon, and he is there because he is in exile. His home city, the great city of the Lord, has been defeated and sacked. He has been led from his home to a foreign country, and now lives as a prisoner in the capital city of the army that defeated his own. He has been beaten, humiliated, he is dejected and depressed. And he remembers his home. But it's not just his home that he is longing for. Because Zion was, most importantly, the home of the God of Israel. It was the home of the temple. To speak of Zion was to speak of God's deliverance of the people Israel his provision for his people, his being for Israel. To remember Zion wasn't to remember a homeland. It wasn't to remember a house, not to remember a favorite falafel shop. It was to remember God's victory and God's might over the nations and the other gods. It was to to remember that Israel's God reigns. By the rivers of Babylon, there they wept as they remembered the days when their God reigned. Next, we hear that their captors tormented them, humiliated them by asking them to sing a song of Zion. There's a category of psalms, and I imagine there were other songs like this that didn't make it into the biblical book of psalms, that were termed songs of Zion. They are songs about how great Zion is, how wonderful Zion is, and they all relate to God's presence in Zion. One of those is Psalm 46, which reads, God is our refuge and strength, The Babylonians ask for one of these songs. They ask the Israelites to sing about the city of God. They ask the Israelites to sing, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. To sing, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. All of this after they have taken, sacked, and raised the city. After they have defeated this God. So the psalmist writes that they hung their harps upon a tree. They refused to sing a song of Zion. How could they? How could they sing about the greatness and power of God? How could they sing that Zion will never fall because God is here when Zion had just fallen? How could they sing about the beauty of their home when they had been forcibly taken from it? The first part of this psalm has been more a song of Babylon than a song of Zion. The song of Zion is what you sing as praise when you know that your God reigns, and because your God reigns, all will be well. The song of Babylon is what you sing as an anti-song of Zion. This is what you sing when everything has fallen apart. What songs do you sing when everything falls apart? What language do you employ when life deals you crushing crushing blows? Do you have language for that? Do you have prayers for that? Do you have ways of going before God when literally nothing is going your way? I mentioned at the beginning the old joke about how every country song is the same. My truck died, my dog died, my wife left me. It's usually said by people who don't like country music. And it's probably because there's a lot of life sadness to deal with uh, for people who aren't in that headspace. But here's the deal. Sometimes there are days when the truck dies, the dog dies, and your wife leaves you. Or at least there are days when it feels like that. And on those days, when our truck dies, our dog dies, and our wife leaves us, or whatever the equivalent is, We need songs about people who are talking about their truck dying, their dog dying, and their wife leaving them so we can know we aren't alone. We need words to help us give voice to what we are feeling. Have you ever felt like everything is falling apart? Have you ever felt like life was against you? Have you ever gone through a period of time where it felt like a taunt to think that God was for you? What did you want to say? Sometimes we need songs of Babylon for when our life is falling apart. And it's not just as if it's not just enough for our life to fall apart, but then we are mocked forever believing that it would turn out well. In those times, we need a song of Babylon. But the song of Babylon isn't the only thing going on in this psalm. Because even in the midst of everything falling falling apart, there's a call to remember, a call to faith, a call to hope. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Even in the midst of everything falling apart, even as the powerlessness of their God is mocked, the psalmist wants to remember Jerusalem. The psalmist wants to remember Zion. The psalmist wants to imagine a future that includes him living in Zion. The psalmist considers Zion his highest joy, even as everything is falling apart. Now remember, Zion and Jerusalem aren't just a place. They aren't just a city. He's not just singing about how one day he's coming home, he's coming home. Zion and Jerusalem are about God's victory over the nations. They're about God's being for Israel. They're about God's power and God's might, and how God being for Israel means safety, security, and prosperity for Israel. So when the psalmist declares he wants to remember Jerusalem, it really means he wants to remember his God. He wants to remember the power of his God. He wants to remember that God once delivered his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and wants to believe that God will do it again. That God will lead them back to Jerusalem. That God himself would return to dwell in Jerusalem. That God would reestablish the holy city. That God would be the God that he had proven himself to be in the past. That once again, God would be the almighty, the all-powerful, the one who reigns. In our darkest hours, don't we too wish that our God would be for us? As our world is falling apart, don't we somehow cling to this notion that God will come and will make everything right? Don't we consider it our highest joy that one day God would move and work and act on our behalf as God has done in the past? we cling to this notion that we are not fools. We were not wrong to trust God, and we were not wrong to love God. That is what faith looks like. That is what faith is. That in spite of everything we can see, in spite of a mountain of evidence to the contrary, that God will be who God has always promised to be. That God is real, God is here, and God is for us. Even and especially when we are broken. So if the psalm ended here at this point i think we'd like this psalm more i think we'd read and recite and preach on this psalm more i think we wouldn't hide it away as if it didn't exist but the psalm doesn't end there the psalm has that ending that ever since we read it has changed the mood in this room and we have to deal with that ending remember lord what the edomites did on the day jerusalem fell Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Don Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. Let's be honest. That's truly horrific. At first, we have the psalmist openly declare his dire for vengeance. They destroyed our city, they took joy in destroying our city. Blessed is the one who pays them back. What we have here is a beatitude. Jesus famously gives a list of beatitudes in the gospel. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. In this psalm, we hear blessed, happy are those who seek vengeance. Blessed are those who repay you for what you have done to Israel. Blessed are they who sack your capital city. Is vengeance of God, is repaying evil for evil in keeping with the character of God? I don't think so. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is someone who looks upon us, those who have done evil to God, and repays us with mercy, with love, with forgiveness. And while it is possible to say that reasonable minds can differ on God's role in seeking vengeance, certainly we can all agree on how God feels about murdering children. He's against it. And yet, the final beatitude in this psalm, the final line in this psalm says, blessed are they who dash your baby's heads against rocks. That's horrible. That's truly terrible. What is this doing in Holy scripture? How is this the word of God? Couldn't a monk somewhere in the dark ages have just not written this line? The only thing I can say to this is, have you ever had a situation in life where you needed to say something horrible? Or you have needed to say something terrible? Where you actually have said something? Has something ever happened, the death of a loved one, the ending of a relationship, someone wronging you, someone hurting you, and in the face of such hurt, pain, and brokenness, you just had to say something awful? I've been there. Have you? Who has ever been told, after reacting to a bad situation, you can't say that you're a Christian? Or you can't think that you're a Christian? You can't react that way. You're supposed to be Christian. Sometimes I have been told, often by people outside of the faith, that I'm supposed to remain impassive to life's difficulties because of my faith. Like being a Christian means I can't respond to brokenness by saying, that sucks. And if you're taken aback because I said sucks in a sermon, the Bible literally just said uh, something about murdering children. So I think I'm on the, not far, worse end of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been told I can't be bitter, I can't react negatively, I can't be upset and angry when the brokenness, the pain, the unfairness, the harshness of life hits me. And when we get told this enough, when we get told, oh, good Christians, don't get mad, we begin to plaster on a smile, come what may, out of fear for being a bad Christian. But here's the thing, friends. We are human beings living in a fallen world and sometimes that means life will crush us we will get hurt and when that happens we will want to say it is natural to say terrible things it is natural for us to say we want vengeance it is natural for us to say awful stuff why is this psalm in the bible honestly i think it's here because god wants to remind us it's okay to be human It's okay to be real. It's okay to be vulnerable. God can take our worst thoughts. God can take the horrible things we say when our life is falling apart. God will still love us, even after we give voice to our deepest hurts. God knows that we are human, and God loves us when we are at our most human and at our most vulnerable. When you're in seminary and they're teaching you how to preach, After every practice sermon you give, the first question they ask you is always, where was the good news in this text? This psalm begins with people weeping and ends with them shouting about murdering children. Where is the good news here? It is in the simple fact that even after saying all of this, God is still with the psalmist. God still loves the songwriter. Where's the good news for us today? That even in our brokenness, even in the moments where we say horrible, terrible, very bad things, God is still with us. God still loves us. God still wants to carry us through. If this psalm has anything to teach us, it's that vulnerability with God is not a vice. It's not taboo. God desires our vulnerability. Brenda spent a month earlier in the summer trying to get us to be okay with vulnerability. Because we aren't accustomed to being okay with it. But God desires for us to be real with him. God wants to hear us speak. Even in our pain. Maybe especially in our pain. So go forth today to be real with God. In good times and in hard times be real with God because there's no hurt or pain you can bring to God that will make him love you any less. And when we bring our hurts and pains to God, we often will find ourselves healed by his mercy and healed by his grace. Let us pray.